0: In a world where talent is evenly distributed, but venture capital is concentrated in coastal silos, smart startup money is heading for the MidCon. Welcome to the MidCon Markup, a podcast that uncovers the inspiring stories of our visionary tech entrepreneurs and the investors who believe in them. I'm your host, Cody Merrill with Cortado Ventures. Listen, learn, and make your MidCon Markup. Welcome everybody to another episode of the MidCon VC podcast. Today, I'm grateful to be with my colleague and our principal here at Cortado, Susan Mooring. Susan, welcome.
1: Thank you, Cody. Well,
0: can you start us off by giving us an understanding of what your responsibilities are with Cortado, and then we'll jump back all the way to the beginning to childhood and early career and what led to this point.
1: Absolutely. Um, I will start with what my role is at Cortado. But also, this is quite the setup that you have here. So, congratulations on the uh, podcast setup and launch.
0: Scoring the uh, <laughs> approval of equipment purchases. Yes.
1: There you go. Exactly. Thank you. Um, yes. Yeah, so, my role at Cortado, I'm an investment principal, and I really touch all things that have to do with the investment process. So, everything from sourcing companies to running diligence on companies to preparing investment materials like memos and financial models to uh, pitching companies for investment to the investment committee, which is our three partners here at Cortado. And then on the flip side, once an investment is made, helping to support those companies in a number of ways, tracking and monitoring their progress and and monitoring the value of our portfolio as a whole.
0: Awesome. So what was childhood like for <laughs> little Susan growing up in small town in Oklahoma and then, um, what what drew you to entrepreneurship, and what were your professional experiences that led to the first job with Cortado?
1: Yeah. Okay, that's a lot in one question, but I'll yeah. start at the beginning, and Let's you can sure. kind of direct me. Yeah. So I am Oklahoma born and raised. I grew up in Tecumseh, which is a town of I think about eight thousand when I was there. So a literal one stop light town. Um, I went to school at the University of Oklahoma, um, and I, I think how I ended up in entrepreneurship um, was it was a really good intersection for me of like intellectual challenge and prowess but also creativity and I think that really matches well with what with how I grew up I was always very involved in in arts and theater and loved like the creative side and getting to work with people that have that kind of personalities Um, but also was always really driven by Intellectual challenges, and um, you know, had a lot of ambition, and so I think falling into this world of entrepreneurship and startups has a really nice combination um, of both of those things. So um, when I when I started at OU, I actually started studying engineering. I was an engineering major for two years. Um, this is like also really indicative of that sort of side of me, which was they made me pick a discipline within engineering. So after two years of like taking all the gen eds within. Engineering, they were like, "Do you want to be a petroleum engineer or a chemical engineer or a mechanical?" And I felt like you can't put me in a box. You know, I'm I'm 19 years old. Like, how am I supposed to pick now what I'm going to do with the rest of my life? And at that point, I thought entrepreneurship seemed like a good option. I could I could do anything. And so I took that, having a couple of years from engineering and learning about technology and the way things work, and really um, building quantitative and analytical skills, and then went and studied. Entrepreneurship and got more of the business side. Um, and then that sort of affected my whole career from there. When I graduated, I worked in a number of things related to startups and entrepreneurship and technology everything from working on tech transfer with the university to running a coding boot camp to doing in depth consulting projects with early stage startups across a lot of industries. Um, just lots of different things I could do to, to build my exposure to that.
0: So, You are also Cortado's first and only, I believe, uh, person who has gotten a new and improved job title.
1: Uh, uh, That that is correct. uh, Promotion? Yeah, Yeah, I was employee number one. Okay. Yeah, so I started here as an associate. Um, Gosh, that would have been maybe five or six months after the firm was founded. And then uh, the following year was promoted to principal.
0: How would you advise other people working for emerging manager funds to establish themselves as so essential to the team that it warrants promotion and the level of responsibility of being our whole portfolio manager?
1: That's a really good question. Um, But I think my answer is probably generalized, not just to people early in BC, but to really like any young professional that's working to work their way up quickly, Um, and it's really mastering some, a few skills, I think, that really set you apart. Um, I'm always shocked at how much the ability to communicate really, really matters, so your ability to, especially in this world, take a ton of complex information and simplify it to what are the key takeaways, like what are the things that is really going to, are really going to matter to my boss, simplify that and to communicate it. In a way that's easy for them to make decisions with um, is not a skill that everyone has or uses, and I think it really sets people apart. Um, that's a big part of it. A big part of it, I think, was just taking ownership, wanting to learn how things work, um, having things done before the boss asks for them, which I think is a, uh, a fun dynamic. Is always trying to like think what what are the things that are important to. A boss at any given time and what are they thinking about and how do i make sure the work i'm doing is helping with that and i'm one step ahead of them um and so yeah particularly helpful in the world of vc but i think across across any discipline those are things that a young professional can do to set themselves apart and and work their way up
0: what advice would you give an entrepreneur for how to impress cortado in the uh, diligence process but more broadly how do you impress a venture capital firm and give them confidence that you're the person for the job to lead this company?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, i have actually been thinking about a, a blog post around these topics, so I have some thoughts. Um, I mean, I think I think number one is you got to know your stuff. Um, I mean, it's a little cliche, but you got you got to know your numbers. Um, you got to be organized. You got to you know respond quickly and and have things at the ready that people are going to ask you for. You know, another thing is back what I was talking about earlier is your ability to make the complex simple. I think sometimes entrepreneurs will come into a pitch meeting with the VC and think, if I can describe how complex this is, then I will sound so smart. But the truth is, on the flip side, as a generalist, if I spend an hour with you in a meeting, and I don't fully understand what the technology does, because you haven't explained it in a way that makes the complex simple and is really easy to understand it and its value like you're probably not going to get a second meeting so there really is this um i think the most impressive entrepreneurs can come in with something really complex and and really be able to narrow it down to the things that are important that are going to be relevant to you as a, as a venture investor
0: great so for cortado what is our investment process like so from the very get go, whenever a founder applies through the website, we get their deck, all the way to the investment committee, what are the stages of diligence?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I will describe it kind of in the four phase process that we use. I really like structure, so I'll, I'll go with my, with my four phase process. So the first piece is understanding is this company the type of thing that we want to invest in? So does it meet our, our highest level criteria? Um, is it a typical venture scalable company, which there's a lot of resources available to try to understand really what that means, but is it is it highly scalable? Um, does it match the things in our thesis? So is it B2B tech? Is it regionally focused, right? We're very focused on the mid-continent region. Um, is it a founder that we like and enjoy spending time with, right? These are very long relationships um, with a, a venture investor and their and their founders. So is it someone that we want to work with for the next five to ten years? So really sort of, you know, at the highest level, is this something that we would like to invest in if everything else checks out? Um, and uh, so if, if someone checks all of those boxes and we move it into the second phase, which is really diving deep into the technology and the business. So this is where we want to make sure we have a really deep understanding of the technology and the um, intellectual property mode, if there is one, or what makes this different? What's the unique value that it's adding to customers? Uh, We want to dive into traction and financial metrics. So how many customers are there and how much are they paying and how have those customers grown over time? Um, And so we'll look at, if it's a SaaS company, some pretty typical venture SaaS metrics. Um, But but kind of the things that if we know it's something that we want to invest in, uh, the phase two is really helping us understand, Okay, do we like the bones of this company? Do we believe it's a good investment? Um, Does it have the potential to make the kind of returns that that we want? And both of those first two phases are usually done by myself and the, the junior members of our investment teams. And so that prepares us for the third phase, which is actually having that company present to the investment committee. Um, if they like it and vote to invest and we'll go into final diligence, which is the, the not so fun stuff, all the legal review, deal docs review, um, an accounting review by a third party accountant and things like that. And then we write a check.
0: <laughs> awesome. And so how long does that process typically take?
1: To give you a really clear as mud answer, I would say anywhere between six and 24 weeks. Um, it can go really fast if there's already a, a lead investor in the deal and we're, we're playing the role of a follow-on investor um, and a company like is, is quick and knows their stuff and has all the things we need. We can, we can get through something really fast. On the flip side, if we're leading a deal and maybe there's a lot of crafting that needs to be done to make the deal what we want it to be or things that need to happen before we can actually invest, then that can really extend the, the timeline.
0: Okay, I've got some some email questions here. Okay. I wanna give founders a sense, at least in your opinion, of the anatomy of a perfect email. So
1: like what, a cold email for um, outreach?
0: So one is like what's a great cold outreach email. Two is going to be what's a great email where you're in the diligence process, you're trying to Update Cortado, trying to generate a little FOMO, but don't want to stretch things too far, still being genuine. And then what is the anatomy of a perfect update after we've been funded? How much information are we actually looking to receive? And then what is the anatomy of a perfect email response to our rejection? So okay. let's go from the beginning. Okay. What is a ideal cold outreach email to us?
1: Yep. So an ideal cold outreach email to me mm-hmm. is showing me easy to find, easy to read, right at the top of the email, how you stack up against those things I mentioned that are our, our phase one checklist. So you're in Oklahoma or the broader Midcontinent region. You're B2B. You're in one of the industries that we like. The round size or the stage that you're at is appropriate for our thesis. So it really is, hey, show me in that email in as few words as possible that you're the type of thing that my firm wants to invest in.
0: That you've read our website.
1: That you read the website, yeah.
0: We don't need a novel. We don't need a novel. We just need a few sentences showing that you read our website, why it's applicable to what you're working on, and some teaser, maybe a link to a deck or to a website that shows that you're professional and credible. Yeah. Okay. Once a company is in our diligence process, we're having conversations with them, we're asking them questions, we want things back from them, but they're also generating new sales, have new articles that are being released. What is, a, what is an email that you read that, that makes you more motivated to invest time in that deal?
1: Yep. I hate to agree that this is a FOMO-driven industry, but it for sure is. So I think any sort of traction that you're experiencing while you're in the fundraising process, send emails with those updates. Um, and that will get people to move quicker, I think. so. But um, well,
0: like, uh, be truthful, right? Yeah,
1: Yeah. Oh, gosh, of course. That's like... That's like, yes, check mark number one, integrity. It's like,
0: don't, don't and, tell a lie. And, uh, <laughs> and don't ever stretch how far along you are with a different investor
1: That's because true. we talk,
0: right? That's and it's like, true. it's like very easy for a founder to say, oh, you know, we got a commitment from them. And then you talk to them, and they're like, well, we loosely you know, it's talked about something.
1: And it was fine, <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay, now ideal investor update email. That you could get from a founder
1: yeah so i think it is uh metrics driven it helps me understand what were the milestones that we said we would get to with this round of funding and where are you on those on those milestones um it has a really clear ask so a lot of venture investors always want to know how can we be helpful how can we be helpful but for a for a Funds like ours, who has, I think, 38 portfolio companies at this point, like we need that to be direct asks and easy to find so that we can act on them. Um, you know, and then ideally positive, but also sharing the negatives. So I think companies, you know, are, are really worried about sharing the negatives with their investors. But the truth is, when it comes around for your next funding round, the more transparent and real we feel like our relationship is with you as a founder, um, you know, the more, the better we can evaluate whether or not we want to participate in the next round. And if we feel like, you know, you're hiding maybe the bad stuff or aren't being totally truthful about what's going on with the company, then it's really hard for us to say yes to putting more money in at a later date.
0: Right. Like, ultimately we're just trying to do our job and uh, we raise money from our lps mm-hmm. and say that we're going to make investments based on a fiduciary obligation and a thesis that we've sold to you when you write your check it's not like oh hey founder you're our buddy we're going to give you money it's like we're just doing our jobs
1: yeah and i think that's a, that's a good point you know maybe the piece that i didn't mention is we really want those update emails to share wins because we want to be able to take those wins and share them back with our LPs and, and be able to say, look how great these companies are doing. Or, or sometimes even maybe take those asks back to our LPs and be able to say, hey, this company is really looking for an expert in X, Y, Z. You know, Can you help? So, yeah, the more the more clear and transparent you can be with what's happening and what your needs are, the better we can we can help.
0: Awesome. OK. Now. What is the perfect email that a founder can send to us? This is very tough. After we have rejected their current application for funding.
1: I actually don't mind when a founder... Well, let me back up. So generally, if we pass on something, especially if we've spent any considerable time with that entrepreneur, we try to be really transparent with the reasons that we're passing. And so i actually don't mind when an entrepreneur replies and and rebuts those things like well you know you said the market's not big enough but this is why we think you're wrong um great like i want to know how you're thinking about it but do it in a in a polite way i guess without expectations that we're going to change our mind but I've, i've received some emails like that um that are thoughtful they're they're kind they're polite that have made me think Wow, I actually really want to track this company's progress because if what they're saying is true, then in six or eight months, it actually might be a great fit for us and we we may want to reevaluate. But if you've sent sort of a a nasty, you're stupid and (laughs) and here's all the reasons you're wrong kind of email, then like, of course, we're not going to work with you, even if you, you know, have incredible traction over the next six months.
0: All right, Susan, your email wisdom is immense and I have to ask why <laughs> I get
1: a lot of them from founders. Well,
0: so. I have to ask one, one additional email question It's a natural extension. What is the perfect email after a founder has been rejected a few months later that shows growth and their thinking as, as a founder and their progress as a business? that motivates you to put them back into the queue and reconsider the opportunity.
1: Ooh. Well, I'd say first, I mean, that would be, that's, that's happened a handful of times and that is, would be super respectable to be able to come back and say, it's been four months here were the, here are the specific things you mentioned that made you not think we were a good fit or not ready. And here's how we're, we're addressing those things. I mean that clear clear as mud make it hard for me to argue with I, I suppose would be the, the recommendation. Um, but I get a lot of founders that will after a rejection add us to their investor update lists and and that's great too. like, like I said, I, I want to be able to track progress if it, especially if it's somebody that we had a lot of communication with or went pretty far through the process with. Um, and then if you can you know also send those personalized, here's the reasons you passed and why I think you may want to reconsider based on our our progress since then, and that's super impressive.
0: Awesome. Okay, last question for you. What advice would you have for girls who are in high school or college or early phases of their career and they're interested in venture capital, which tends to be very uh, white male dominant? Yeah. Um, Yeah. How do you rise through the... Adversity and let your ideas and work be seen for their merit.
1: I think the, the main thing is just believe that you can do it. Um, it's shock. So I'll I'll go back to a an anecdote that I use regularly because I think it's it's so crazy. And um, we've seen this with applications for our our internship here at Cortado. Is our applicants are probably eighty five percent male, but of the male applicants, a significantly smaller a, a, a significantly smaller portion are maybe qualified in that top tier level that we're looking for to do the role. On the flip side, of the fifteen percent of the applicants that are women, nearly all of them meet all of the criteria that we've listed and are looking for. and so there is this element of uh, I think men are much more likely to apply something even if they don't think they meet the criteria or maybe they do think they meet the criteria and they'll just go for it. Whereas I think women are more likely to self-select out because they don't think they're they're going to be maybe perfect or don't meet every single bullet on the job description. And that's a real bummer. So the I think the job description for the associate role that I applied for asked for two to three years of VC experience, which I didn't have. I had a lot of startup experience. I didn't have investing experience. And I applied anyway, and I got it. And I think that's a really hard thing for a lot of women to do. So build confidence, go for it, even if you don't have exactly the requirements that they're asking for.
0: Awesome. Anything else you want to discuss?
1: I don't think so. Okay.
0: Well, Susan, thank you so much for joining us on another day of the MidCon BC podcast. I think that you provide a lot of great wisdom that founders who are applying for funding from Cortado can use to be better applicants in our process. And you spoke to the rigor that it takes to get through our process and to earn an and investment. So thank you so much for all the processes that you've put in place at Cortado that has driven our High performance.
1: Absolutely. I'm glad to talk about it with you. All right. Have a good one.